I'm happiest in the saddle. <laughs> A fellow sportsman. I am an FBI agent. Great Scott. What do you say we cut the chit-chat a-hole? Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Come with me if you want to live. Hello, and welcome to Retro Ramble. I'm Charlie McGee. I'm George McGee. And ladies and gentlemen, this time it's 1981, and we are retro rambling all the way back to check out John Landis's An American Werewolf in London. Oh, so George. Yes. Is it a full moon while we're recording this? Um, how often it, do you notice, to be honest, unless it's the summer and you can see it all the time, how often do you track the moon? Uh, I haven't tracked it as much as I used to. That's for sure. What, what can people expect from this episode? Because this is obviously, everybody will have probably heard of it. It's a, it's a cold classic. But what can people expect us to cover being, in terms of what we normally cover? Because this is a Halloween special of sorts. Yes, it's a Halloween special. Obviously, we don't dip our toes into the, the horror genre very often. Um, but so I think, yeah, it's, it's, some, uh, it's obviously a film that you and I, we don't re- revisit very regularly. So it was good fun to go back I agree there's some interesting production chat Uh, I've I've got sort of lined up a few suspicious spin-offs some suspicious spin-offs yeah it's a landmark film for I I mean the I watched this I've got this as part of a a blu-ray box set which is collection of films that defined a decade so films that defined the 80s ironically there's no films uh, older than 1983 in the box set Uh, so you got an idea as to when it came out what are the other films bro what are the the highlights the other nine so it's 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 through Universal so it's um, it's Blues Brothers which is 1980 same film company it's American Werewolf it's The Thing which is 1981 and Scarface which is 1983 <laughs> so it's yeah but it's still not, quality, it's not, quality selections from oh, no, just a very short period I, I, I picked it up for only a few pounds and on Blu-ray and everything but yeah I, I don't think you know getting up to 1983 is really defining the 80s but I say it's a good good selection I picked up cheaply so I'm not entirely sure where I was going with that story many interesting categories that you contemporary with you're not going to tell me until later but i'm i'm not um but yeah it's um i say maybe it's more about the spin-offs this time it's 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 halloween it's a chance for us to to get our our horror on though as as per as per usual we will just uh you know it is a a horror comedy is it a horror comedy is it more horror than comedy horror satire we'll 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 get into it for anybody who's listened to our episodes before you know what to expect but for anybody who hasn't and has decided to pick this old nugget out as their first try here's george with a quick disclaimer on some general housekeeping so uh retro ramble is an independent film podcast charlie and i are brothers this podcast is all about Charlie and I going back and revisiting the films of our youth. So that's usually the films of the, the 80s and 90s. Why we love them so much growing up. Do they still stand the test of time? Have they been remade, homaged, uh, recycled, sequelized, that kind of jazz? So yeah, we're going into these films in detail. So there will be spoilers from the very off. This is a podcast for adults, so there will be some childish language um, and probably some bad impressions. But we, see, you know, we aim to entertain. We aim to uh, give you some background trivia to these films that you may not have been aware of. But we, we always say it's about like uh, revisiting an old friend. Yeah, let's let's reminisce and take the piss. So it's American Werewolf. It's 1981. Let's get on this sucker. Sucker. Enjoy the show. Isn't this fun? Lovely stroll on the moors. Did you hear that? I heard that. What is it? You think it's a dog? Nice doggy. Good boy. What happened to them? Well, the police report said they were attacked by an escaped lunatic. A wolf. My friend Jack was just here. Ah! 
God told me that I will become a monster in two days. Your dead friend, Jack. Yes. You gotta believe me, David. Believe what? You're one of the undead, and I'm a werewolf. Tomorrow night's the full moon. You're gonna change. Alive! You'll become. I know. I know. A monster. A naked American man stole my balloon. What? What did I do last night? You don't remember? The last remaining werewolf must be destroyed. It's you, David. Run! Good Lord. So, George, it's 1981. It's Halloween. I'm terrified, but I also want to watch a horror film. So how did we get an American werewolf in London? Who's responsible for this beast? American werewolf in London is from a writer, director, and a man we've covered on the podcast in the past year is John Landis. So John Landis is a, a big name uh, primarily in comedy. So um, we all covered him uh, in the past year from coming to America. He's also behind the McGee favorite, family favorites, Trading Places, as well as the, the Blues Brothers. But this was an idea that he had all the way back uh, in 1969 so over a decade before the film got produced he was 18 years old working as a production assistant on another film that i haven't seen before uh, but it's 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 a bit of an old favorite kelly's heroes so it's an old war movie i think it's got clint eastwood yeah, yeah. Uh, and donald Sutherland. probably seen bits probably seen bits of it yeah so it's it's a classic war film so he was working on that in in was the former state of yugoslavia and on a, a long road trip between locations they stopped on the side the road and he saw these local gypsies and he said it was like something off a movie set in terms of the, the, all the way these people were dressed uh, burying a man feet first and he was wrapped in this cloth and wrapped in you know streams of, of garlic and then he got his like local interpreter the guy like the dry the guy driving him to sort of, like find out what was going on and apparently they were burying this guy that way because they feared he might come back back to life back from the dead and he was just like this is nuts you know like two, <laughs> two, two weeks earlier we put a man on the moon and yet you've still got people believing in these folklore and the supernatural and and that sent sparked an idea in his head and he uh, he spent a long time working on on different films across Europe. Spent time in London. He worked from everything from stunts, dialogue coach, an actor. So he spent a lot of time working in London because he even worked on a draft of The Spy Who Loved Me. So he worked for Eon, um, and one of his ideas, his his script was ultimately rejected. But that was that because they went with James Bond's going to die. Oh my god. <laughs> He he had that reference of being an American in London. And so, yeah, he wrote the script like uh, around that, that same time. And he didn't get any support for the idea because I think at that time, werewolf movies were destined as, as old hat. You know, obviously it was part of the... Hammer horror type it, stuff. Well, the, the, even uh, that era, older, that era, not necessarily even older. Well, that Hammer was the seventies. Um, but if you think like the, the classic Universal monsters were like the forties and fifties, I think. And the script itself, like he said, so many people, even in, including uh, Cubby Broccoli, turned it down because every everyone was said it's either too frightening to be funny or it's too funny to be frightening. Um, uh-huh. He basically ended up shelving it during that time. He his first like his film debut was another comedy horror called Schlock about a blind girl who falls in love with an ape monster. And on that film, he uh, met a guy who was doing the the makeup, a guy called Rick Baker. 
and they I've heard of him before. and they became good good friends and stayed in touch and he obviously showed them the American Werewolf script and they worked you know they they storyboarded so he's it. the makeup guy right yes. yeah he's a legendary makeup guy and they carried on like they went off and did their own things and but in this time in this in this 10 year sort of gap landis eventually you know off the back of this very low budget comedy horror he did he started getting work so he did the kentucky fried movie which is i think like a sketch type movie he, did, he bro- really broke through with animal house uh, of I, course I, again another uh, favorite of of the mcgee's off the back of Animal House, obviously went on to do uh, Blues Brothers as well. Another classic. So he had basically established himself as a sort of, you know, a successful director. And finally, he had the clout to make American Werewolf. And he said, ironically, you know, it, after, by the time he got the green light to do it, werewolves were really hot <laughs> at that time. So in, <laughs> in, in the same year, there was uh, The Howling, which I'm going to talk about. I've heard of that, yeah. Which yeah. is uh, Joe Dante, the guy who did uh, Gremlins. And Dante's um, Peak. So I uh, <laughs> didn't do Dante's Peak. That's what he calls his penis. Um, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> he, um, so there was The Howling, which is uh, Wolfen. Full Moon High, so there was yeah, it was very zeitgeisty at the time. So yeah, that's the Full Moon High sounds like Smallville. Oh god, <laughs> there's so many bloody. Well, I mean, he, uh, John Landis refers to uh, Teen Wolf, but obviously that wasn't until 1985. It's copying so, a bit of his work. Yeah, um, that's the main thing of how it came about. Obviously, I can. I'll, I'm going to talk about. Rick Baker and his makeup later on. Um, when was uh, Teen Wolf in comparison to this film, by the way? So T- Teen Wolf was 1985. Teen Wolf was, I think, the film Michael J. Fox did before Back to the Future, but I think it was released after the Back to the Future when he became yeah. a hot star. T- in terms of first memories, once again, the Glendonings. I think I've seen this parts of this film and... I think whenever it was advertised on TV, because it was on TV a lot during the 80s, you know, whether it was at Christmas or probably every Halloween type thing, um, they always showed parts of the transformation. You know, it's obviously the iconic scene, what it got, it got the Oscar for the makeup work and all of that. Um, so that's all I've seen of that film. And it terrified me from watching it. So as a result, I've never watched this film from start to finish. I've watched loads of bits of it. I've watched a bit of them in the pub and I've seen a bit of them changing. That is it. I don't think I'd ever seen the the amazing ending, which we'll talk about when we get to it. But so I was terrified by it, but I'd seen the whole thing, the whole bit of the transformation. I've I've seen it all before and I've definitely seen it all before more, like probably two or three times, maybe four or five times, but I've never watched the film. (laughs) So that's my memory of this film is aware of it, knowing the best bits. Well, some of the best bits of it, but never actually experiencing it. But I was two when it came out. So, you know. Yes. Similar thing with me. Yes, it's definitely tied to to our our good friends and and old neighbours, the Glen Dennings, who had a love of of all things, you know, films at the time. But they were big horror fans as well. Bizarrely, I remember watching the very ending, like literally. The, the alleyway, yeah, the alleyway bit, and that did uh, seem familiar to me as well. Yeah, and obviously as a, a boy growing up, I I think I vaguely remember seeing the shower seat scene um, more often than the actual bit. It's like, oh yeah, but we'll we'll get to the shower scene in a bit. It's like, oh, okay, I have to put up with the scary stuff to get to some some real boobs, some nineteen eighties Caddyshack worthy boob action. But yeah. uh, when George says accidentally, he actually means and repeatedly. repeatedly. <laughs> and when I say with my friends, I mean by myself. Myself. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's weird. We were obviously very young when it came out, but I think what we're talking about here is the cult classic this film became. Is I didn't know that it had got the Oscar until I researched this film. Um, I mean, I'm not that. I think one of the other things you and I could cover off in terms of 
first memories is that we've said it a few times on this podcast and it's obvious from the films we cover we're not that into our horror it's, no. it's probably because when we were get, really getting into films we were young we were six seven eight years old and so we watched the films we enjoyed and that got us into films and at that when we were that age we weren't really into the horror sort of thing and i think that stuck with us it's funny but this is a horror this is my type of horror film yeah no it's it's a it's a funny one i think there are film fans and i think film fans have a certain niche that they a certain groove that they find themselves in and i think it's safe to yeah, say yeah we're not really that art house art no, house no, it's, it's, even though we'll watch a good film we're not that you know yeah you know we, we like to be entertained and we like we like sharing having fun and watching a film with a crowd with friends and yeah you and i are more of the blockbuster action slash comedy leaning because we we enjoy that sort of repetition but it's the same Sort of, I can't see it's like delving into the English patient saying, you know, when 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 Colin crashed his plane into the desert, it was so romantic, George. That was that was Ralph Fiennes, <laughs> goddammit. Ralph didn't uh, crash the plane. No, but anyway. It's yes, it, I think but with horror it's it's a similar thing. People enjoy that that tension, that release. They enjoy watching it with, with a, a crowd and with friends and and that there is almost that sort of enjoyment of you know the scary part's coming, but you don't know exactly when and you know, you enjoy seeing it with you know people that haven't seen it before um, but it's the same as like a thriller like what you and i are drawn to is we love gripping thrillers and what we read and what in what we watch so whether it's the the attraction of an armageddon like what's going to happen i mean before we'd actually seen that film we're talking about armageddon as a, as a thriller no i'm, I'm saying that concept oh, right. a disaster movie you know so we love the poseidon adventure with gene hackman we you know all of these sort of things this idea of it's not necessarily a horror but it's like loads of shit's happening do you know like how's it going to end up type thing so there's, we, there's, we do there's, like there's it's loads a sim- of uh, actually just thinking that there's loads of those disaster movies that we grew up with watching probably too young that used to scare <laughs> terrify the shit out of me like the towering inferno we've got to do that yeah. at some point because yeah I remember- the Poseidon, Poseidon adventures is I'm, far- I'm Gene Hackman goddamn oh no that's Nick Nolte um but uh we could talk about disaster films all day. Sorry, my, the point I was only trying to make is I think the same thing that grips people to all those films we're just talking about is why other people like horror. They like they want the same thing, but with a supernatural spin on it. And why not? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think y- you and I are the same. We're just very picky. We're very fussy about horror. Either has to be uh done something different or like something i uh, dare i say it without sounding like a complete knob intelligent so i thought it's a high concept high, well <laughs> i mean it could be high concept but you know obviously we talk about uh, for me and well, event horizon there's event a great horizon that's an example yeah. uh, aliens or alien is i suppose aliens is more action jason action. x Jason X, <laughs> Jason Statham. No, um, where was I? Um, but no, it, it's, yeah, usually like in terms of it, rarely we do like a, a, an outright horror. And obviously this is, it is a, a comedy horror, but if John Landis's argument was the comedy was to make it more realist, uh, realistic yeah. because the whole principle of turning into a werewolf is so ridiculous you needed to have that comedy to yeah to ground it i suppose you know all all this weird shit is happening and someone's like you gotta be fucking joking right no but i think that's what i love about this uh this narration through the script throughout this film and how it just wouldn't happen today because if it was if it was today it would all be internalized like he wouldn't what, what's so um natural and very reminiscent of the you know john landis films is like yeah no my dead friend tells me i'm gonna turn into a werewolf in a few days so like all the way through she's told what's gonna happen he's like and it's like doesn't that sound ridiculous it's so it's sort of like this is the narrative it's like it couldn't possibly happen it couldn't possibly happen but it's teeing it up everyone's talking about it and even the doctors involved i thought whereas in today it would be a lot more he wouldn't talk to her Mm. he wouldn't talk to her like that would he He would he would have the visions and everything in, in a film made today but you wouldn't have that sort of dialogue no, no, and not that tongue and cheekness. And I think that's it. That the, the um, 
what I like about this is is the dialogue, like you know that opening bit where they're they're dropped off. The banter, the banter, the banter between yeah. the two lads and is great. Talking yeah. about is it Debbie Klein or whatever? You yeah, know, the girl back home. It's like she's horrible. It's like you're talking about the woman I love. And it's just like <laughs> yeah, and she's got an amazing body. It's uh, very trading places. It's very uh, there's lots of that. And it's and it's weird though, like. I watched this the other night with with my friend Andrew, who's uh, it's one of his favorite films. So, like, you know, he's seen it a thousand times. But we're both fans of um, of of dark, twisted humor and definite shades of the slaughtered lamb pub of the League of Gentlemen. They've definitely yeah. taken some inspiration from the sort of like, there's nothing this for you a, here. This is a local pub. Yeah. There is no food here. Yeah, there's nothing for you, lads. Off, your, off, yeah. off on your way. It's like, we didn't burn him. <laughs> so yeah, there's, there's definitely some, um, some influences there. I think... So for, for anyone who's not aware of The League of Gentlemen, it's a British comedy from the 90s and you have to check it out to understand that, that what is, about. That is... Has its... Yeah, it's a comedy set in a show. Similar, set in a very similar location. Yeah, it's it definitely... But it's a awesome. comedy show, <laughs> a sketch show, but it also takes its, like... Its influences from Hammer Horror that we've touched on, from stuff like The Wicker Man, and obviously and from and obviously this. from this film, yeah, yeah, and obviously from this. So, but yeah, in that uh, in that pub, uh, did you did you spot the cameo? Well, it's hard to miss. Which cameo are you talking about? Are you talking about the cameo of the legendary Rick Mail, or are you talking yes. about the darts player who would go on to be uh, the little in weasel in Gladiator? That weasely guy in Gladiator who's yeah. working with. Um, with uh, Claudius and uh, I also uh, doing my research I thought the the other darts player you know the the sort of <laughs> yeah. st- stick to the road lads stick to the road yeah um, he's an I think he's a pretty well established British uh, thespian he he was he was uh, yeah. he, he's no longer with us no longer with us died at, at end of the 90s um, but he was with one of the voices from the Tetley Tea ads no I can believe that yeah he was uh, yeah um, but yeah it's 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 a great opening I mean the other thing it just shows my sort of I don't know film cynicism but also northern cynicism when uh, watching it I don't think I watched it this time around but I remember watching it in the past and I was just like that's not Yorkshire. It's far too mountainous. And obviously, at the end, it says it's it's filmed in Wales. But I'm just like Yorkshire isn't that isn't that hilly. Yeah. Um, but it still looks. It's some great locations. Yeah, my my knee jerk reaction to that very slow open, very um, you know low key sort of open that they've got going on, and then it's like it's the dreary. English countryside snazzed up by a couple of yanks. Yeah. <laughs> you know? but because that's... just when they arrive, it totally changes because everything seems like this could be a, a Monty Python, you know, is that sort of early 80s era. Yeah, okay, what am I watching here? The end of the life of Brian? No, okay, this is, oh no, they're American. So it, it, I don't know, you know what I mean? It's it, yeah. 1980s well, no, it's... Britain, Americans in a film, but that's, that's exotic. That's something that um, Landis wanted on purpose. As I say, he'd, he'd lived in in the UK for, for a time and he said I want to film I think they filmed it in like February and March he's like I want to film in bad weather I wow. want it to be reflective of what England's like it's one of those things that you kind of half forget about because it's obviously it's an American werewolf in London so you kind of for, well it's something I forgot about when I watched it you know um, for the first time in a long time a couple of years ago I was like oh Oh yeah, it's 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 obviously it's it's firstly set in Yorkshire, and it's and I don't know if that sort of Yorkshire link or the Moors is a Sherlock Holmes type reference or some some sort of well they talk about that, that, the Baskervilles, which is isn't that Colin that's, Doyle? Yeah, that's that's Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, um, that's that's Doyle. So, uh, but I don't know enough of the classic Wolfman, the Lon Chaney Junior one that that John Landis is a huge fan of but in in that one it is just somebody like running around in with the sort of furry hands and slightly furry face on, on their legs whereas when John Landis was conceiving this he's like no they have to be a full-blown four-legged beast like a hell hellhound type thing yeah we're gonna uh, need some animatronics yeah, um, I mean, yeah. In terms of of the casting, so um, David Norton and Griffin Dunn, 
I've recognised Griffin Dunn from... He crops up in, in a bunch of stuff, like, in the 80s and has done a bit of film and TV. David Norton, I don't think, as like, I, I quickly checked his IMDb. He's done a lot of... He's, he's had steady work, but I don't think I've seen him in what, anything TV else. Or, okay. Yeah, mainly TV. I think he's very good in this, though, David Norton. I thought... One, he's a big guy. He's well built. I mean, he's in he, Billy Bellow because you get to see all of them. No, but I mean, he's he's big, so I mean, it's believable. It's like he's not imposing and muscly and threatening. But you know, the fact that he's turning into a wolf is like, oh, it's not going to be. I I think he he handles the comedy stuff better than the serious stuff. Like, there's this like a bit when he's like. We're probably jumping ahead, but I'm not overly sold on the romance in this in this story. It's very sort of convenient. It's very quick. Oh, George, I'm, this is how life was in London in the uh, late like, 70s oh, I, and I'm, early I, 80s. I'm, I'm totally in love with you. I mean, I, I, I mean, I'd understand why you would be in love with with Jenny, Jenny Ogerter because you know she's l- very lovely. The lovely, uh, lovely, lovely. And she's she's in love with him because he's. I'm very attracted to you, but you're also also a little bit sad. Um, yeah, that's deep. No, but she doesn't actually say "I love you" till the very end. When anyway, we'll get to that. So, but he's the one who's out of the box. Yeah, I love you, and he's like, okay, yeah, it's it's the it's the guy who's just turned it up. The American Paris. He's yeah. like dashingly handsome, and well, you can come and stay at my place. Yeah, so you know, it, it is what it is. You know, it can go that way. I guess she's whore. Um, <laughs> no, she's hot. She's, she's hot, hot for him. Hot. Seriously hot for him. But you also have to, I love in this is, I think I'd like to say the hardest working doctor in the UK. I mean, um, is I'm, he going to expense that trip? <laughs> I, I'm terribly interested in your case. So I'm willing to drive to Yorkshire and back in a day in the 80s. I'm like, again, I'm like, logistics, driving to Yorkshire in the early 80s from London. That's going to take you six hours. <laughs> I just couldn't. At least it was just where I said, I was in East Brock earlier today. He's, he, he also talks like um, a bit like the Cary Grant type era because Louise and I, you know, gone back and watched this. Have you ever noticed that in these films, everyone talks like that? Isn't that fascinating? This is how we tell a joke. And it's yes. just like, he he's, does talk a bit like that. He's very rather trained. Yeah, that's uh, rather training, isn't it? Yes, David. Um, very, the, the young American. Um, but yeah, there's the... What I loved about his introduction is, are you, you going to talk about the scene where he's on the phone with his wife? Yes. Oh, is okay, go for it. No, you go. I, I'm assuming it's his, or his secretary. Well, he's just like, be a good girl. Yeah, no, and he was just like, D- well, just uh, tell him indisposed. Tell, tell, tell him I'm, I'm dead. Tell him I'm dead. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I love that scene with with the the police inspectors, and you've got the what's going on with them? What who came up with this dynamic? I mean, it, I guess it was zany, and people giggled at the time, but but it's not. It's an interesting. It's very horror film esque comedy. It's uncomfortable. It's foolish stuff. You know, the guy knocking over the kidney dishes in his office and stuff. But it's also quite British in in a way. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's not, you know, um, Landis has done, you know, Animal House. And that could that can be accused of being, you know, the first sort of gross out comedy and obviously paving the way for Porky's and American Pie and everything. This feels quite quirky sort of British humour in a way and I don't know if that's just because again him spending quite a bit of time in, in the UK in London in in, Lon- in London Tan so yeah I mean I love the um, we talked about the dynamic between uh, David and Jack and I just love Jack's appearances they're so grotesque the makeup is amazing on jack with that that first sequence where he meets him in the hospital and he's can i have a bit of toast and he's just like yeah. <laughs> like slapped a bit and he's just it's got that, still like, so fresh just and that like... dangling bit of flesh as he talks it's just oh it's it's disgusting um no i was so impressed but, was but, it's, like... it's, but it's that brilliant juxtaposition of it's so disgusting but they're just having this matter of a fact conversation yeah. and he's like going i'm obviously going fucking crazy you know, and yes. and Jack's is left. Jack's actually being very serious. Like, dude, I've got a message for you. This is what's going to happen. You need to listen to me. He's like, I'm dead. I'm talking to a ghost. So it's um, they're both trying to say they're both not understanding each other. But yeah, it's uh, 
he just gets it better and better. And this was these are the bits I forgot. It's, as I say, we keep coming back to the fact that I mean we're there, aren't we? Let's talk about we're talking about the makeup already. The transformation scene. What I don't know. Is there a short note, a better word to describe this? No, no. I've 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 got it down as uh, as the transformation sequence. So, um, Landis always in his like I say he storyboarded it. He worked on it with with Rick Baker um, over the years, and he always wanted it to be in bright light with no cutaways because in the old werewolf movies they'd be like <laughs> is that a mustache <laughs> well, that's it. like they'd be walking like you know go round a tree and then all of a sudden come out like, ah! um, or, and the hair the hair's been put on the hands in stop motion the wrong way round yeah exactly that sort of stuff yeah yeah that's sort the of classic stuff. horrors yeah. um and he'd worked i say he'd worked up this kind of this method with um with rick baker and then when it came to getting the film greenlit, he calls it Rick Baker and he's like, yep, so we've got, got the green light for American Werewolf, so you're on. And Rick Baker's like, um, I've kind of just signed up for another werewolf movie. And, and, uh, Shock horror. And John Lannis was like, you haven't told them about the the, the technique we talked about. And he's like, eh. <laughs> and, and Landis even, like, in this interview, Landis, Landis is telling the story. And he's like, you motherfucker. Yeah. Um, Rick Baker had been signed up to do Joe Dante's uh, The Howling. And I haven't seen The Howling. I, I want to watch it now after reading interviews with Joe Dante and John Landis. Uh, so, yeah, I think you and I will have to de- maybe add that to our revelations list. Revelation. So... So Rick Baker, out of loyalty and friendship to John Landis, left The Howling, leaving his protege in charge. And his protege was Rob Bottin. And Rob Bottin would go on to become the makeups guy for The Thing. So he became, right. you know, renowned makeup, extru- makeup. His own head running about on the floor out of his own exactly. volition. Make- yeah, yeah, makeup extraordinaire, <laughs> genius. Just um, a head with hands, hands and legs coming out of it. What? Um, so yeah, so apparently Landis filmed the whole film in sequence to allow uh, Rick Baker as much time as possible to get the makeup and the effects done right. The makeup itself on on David took I think ten hour ten hours in makeup. Makeup, I was going to say at least, yeah. So, but as you say, it was the the first film to to earn an Academy Award for for best makeup. So it was it was created yeah you know, spe- in nineteen eighty one um, because there had been you know so many groundbreaking you know th- thing films that had come out and and, and never really sort of Oscars. Where where where, where does Apes feature? In this makeup chronology, uh, well, Planet of the Apes um, was 1968, and I think, but of course, use real monkeys. They use they use real <laughs> monkeys. Um, no, I think it lost out to 2001, and I think it was just general special effects. Um, but I think Back then, I yeah. think I think Planet of the Apes was probably one of those reasons that people were were lobbying, saying there had to be. There should be, uh, you know, uh, an Oscar for for best makeup, visual effects, special effects, makeup effects, your yeah, lighting, loads of well, different lighting, costume design, f- food catering, shoe design, shoe design, um, services. Yeah, there's, there's other bits that I, I sort of want to touch on. I I just love how they capture London in this. Like the yuppies. Should we talk about the? Well, yuppies? that's it. We need we need to talk about the the. the You're so funny, Harry. The, 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 let's give them a good vital fright. Um, and you know, those those hooligans are outside again. Um, and you know the great thing about horror is there's lots of themes you can draw out of a horror film. There's very subversive, and you can. You can pick up. You could. You could say it's a comment on Thatcher's Britain in the eighties. You could. You know, it's. It's. It could be a comment from an American on how he felt the UK was. Um, there's even. I've seen arguments or, or an article online saying it's. It's all about. You know, well, werewolves in general are all about puberty. You know, you're growing hair in funny places. But there's even an argument saying it's all about Jewishness because David is identified quite early on as being a Jew and that that sort of xenophobic sort of treatment. But I think, yeah, I love how there's so much British humour in this or British 
esque humour that's nailed on and I love that sort of those those jolly old Brits that even when they've been absolutely savage oh when they're in the cinema that's yeah, brilliant like, oh yes you could get a gun that, that would work <laughs> that'd be <laughs> quick wouldn't it <laughs> All very good. Great seeing the tube as well. Uh, so a London that, that well, you and I have never seen, to be honest. Yes, that's that, and that's what I loved about uh, watching uh, this film because, yeah, um, I I lived in London for for over ten years. I think um, my first visit was in the nineties. Do you know what I mean? It was like yeah. I never saw this London that's being shot here. Well, that's just it. in films I, and TV. I mean, there's bits that seem really like that seem very familiar like where her flat is i was i was assuming oh that's around um kensington but it's that was filmed around around pimlico but yeah it's it's that's the part that fascinates me just seeing old london and obviously we're getting into seeing the flat that a nurse could get <laughs> the, the nurse can, can you imagine telling on, a nurse on her a side? nurse of the as nurse same job yeah you could have this this could be your flat this type of flat in london be like what but yeah, we're obviously we're getting to um, the ending. But yeah, the, the whole the, that, that climatic scene at Piccadilly Circus. I mean, I used to work two minutes from Piccadilly Circus for yeah, I say for for over ten years. So it's it's bizarre seeing that, and with all the porno theaters. And apparently, when John Lannister, they're still there, you just have to look up. You have to look for them. Um, they're just they're just not as obvious. Apparently, when John Landis wrote the script originally. Those those cinemas at um, Piccadilly were would just show old cartoons. So in his script, it was like he, David just goes away to watch cartoons. But then, when he came back in in the late seventies, they'd all turned into porn theaters. Um, so <laughs> so he had to um, and part Update. of this he created this his he actually made a, a short porno essentially so no no i could tell that he'd made that film so yeah that's that in film, the film yeah so that film see, see you next wednesday is um a bit of a running joke it it crops up in loads of of john lannis's films so it does crop it crops up in um trading places coming to america and blues brothers so yeah, it was always like a joke, but then he was like, "Yeah, I need, I need to use a porn film." And he said some of them were so awful. Um, he's like, "I'm just going to make my own. I'm just going to hire like you know a few, a few people." And that, apparently, that was the first thing they filmed. But, yeah, <laughs> get it out of the way. It's the music and everything. Like, bow, bow, bow. <laughs> it's a classic. To get access to get away, um, to get away from porn, get back on get the away from porn. Filming in Piccadilly Circus is 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 very difficult. And must have cost him a few shillings. Well, the way John Lannis did it was through bribery. So he essentially set up a free screening of the Blues Brothers for over 300 members of the London Metropolitan Police Force. And then after that, he asked, he's like, so would you guys be up for me filming pictures? Oh, yeah, I'm sure we can we can we can arrange that for uh, a few hours. So I think it like literally filmed in the middle of the night. And I think they were able to stop Piccadilly Circus for like five minutes at a time to to set up the, the shots. But now that sort of thing happens a lot for films. Oh, yeah. Um, but, but I mean, but still Transformers it's... shutting down parts of Newcastle, you know. Oh, well, all, all that jazz. <laughs> I think at the time it was it was quite groundbreaking for the, the access that they got. And uh, for the for the eagle eyed people in there, John Landis is um, he actually, you know, I say he, he used to be a, a former stuntman in his youth. And he is one of the people that gets run over into one of the shops at, at Piccadilly Circus. I was going to say that some people are properly or right, their or their stunt doubles or their their dummies. Are properly run over. It's it's a graphic escalation. Yes, there's 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 heads rolling. There's cars flipping. It's great. And (laughs) if if anything, it almost feels. I don't know about you, but I it almost feels a bit anti. It ends very suddenly, doesn't it? No, but it was like where I think you've got to be fed as where else is it going to go? You know, I think some stories, I think it's the story that's aware of it. It's like, what would actually happen in London? You know, you're in central London. How would it be? It's not, we're not talking about Kong here. You know, it's not like, oh my God, he's unstoppable. It's running about enough guys with enough guns. That's how it starts. It's set up at the beginning. Punishment. That a group, no, but a group of Yorkshire men with their shotguns take it out. And it's got to be that same sort of thing again. So, how far could it get? He goes, he has two nights at it. It's not like it's the first night and it's over. He has one night and then you get to see the whole cycle of it. The brilliant comedy of him in that jacket, stealing from the zoo, waking up and all that sort of stuff. Um, 
Oh, yeah, we've, we've got that. An American man stole my... Pants. An American man, yeah. I'll give you two pounds. Um, yeah, so I think it's there's, there's a lot of that. And I, I think it's just not greedy. I think, yeah, obviously, today there'd be an or- there'd be a longer origin. There'd be a build-up. Probably wouldn't be two two film thing for this type of thing. No, but but I, I, I just think, I think, I know what you mean, but it's, it's kind of like, where else could it have gone? No, but I, I, there's part of me that loves how abruptly it ends it just ends he's shot and then it's like that really upbeat rendition of blue moon and it's again it's you know it's a very it's a very tragic ending but where, feel- where else could it go and also i think a lot of horror films are like that it was later on when we used to get the the hand moves again i'm not dead he's not dead i mean i just want i just want the hardest working doctor to turn up and just be like um so anyway i'm just going to take some samples i'm just going to put them in my car <laughs> that sounds i'm just going to pop up to yorkshire i'll be back tomorrow back, back um, to yorkshire that would be a brilliant spin-off Yes, yes, indeed. Um, well, we haven't done, uh, Je- we haven't uh, let in Jeff and Celine. Are they able to feature in this? I'm just not sure anybody ve- else. Ve- very briefly, very. Okay, briefly. Let, let's 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 see see what they've got to say. Your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. So, coulda, woulda, shoulda is where George enlightens us into actors, directors, cast members, crew members, uh, whatever, you know, who was considered for this film but didn't make the final cut. So, George. So, so uh, fairly unsurprisingly, um, coulda, woulda, shoulda on this one, considering it's John Landis. But um, apparently, uh, the guys uh, producing this, and I noticed this when the names came up, I was like, oh, I, I didn't realise these guys produced it. But it's produced by John Peters and Peter Goober, um, who made uh, 1989's Batman. Of course. Uh, and also, the amazing Tango and Cash. Um so um, they were pushing to have the two Americans cast as none other than Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi. So Dan Aykroyd playing the role of David and John Belushi playing the role of Jack. Um, but John Landis refused because he wanted to. He wanted new faces. He wanted essentially like nobody cool. to play them. That's my coulda woulda shoulda. So that's a short one. That was a really short coulda, woulda, shoulda. Okay, so as I said before, um, spin-offs. This is a cult classic film. I know there's been at least one sequel. What other spin-offs have there been? So there's quite... Um, I'm, I'm, I'm being a little bit tenuous here, but there's a very important spin-off to this because there was one person that watched this film that was a... I'm, I'm just your biggest fan, John. I'm your biggest fan. And it was none other than a small little boy trapped in a man's body called Michael Jackson. Oh. And two years later, he was like, I want to make... I've, I've got, got this new album coming out. <laughs> um, and he really? wanted to make a really big, impressive music video. So who did he hire? John Landis. And who did he hire to do the makeup? Rick Baker. So without American Werewolf in London, you wouldn't have the Thriller music video. Wow. And I think that's the, the closest I got to watching American Werewolf in London was just Thriller video again and again. Again and again. Um, because yeah, I say uh, MJ was was a, a big fan. Um, he was a big fan of horror films. So um, there was a, a belated uh, late '90s sequel. I think it was 1997. I'm sure you've seen it because it's set in Paris, Charlie, an American gay, werewolf in gay Paris. Paris. I haven't seen it. I remember it coming out around the time. Um, and on Rotten Tomatoes, I know that's not a, a, a always the best, most accurate gauge, but it has a an average rating of 7%. Uh, okay. Or 3.8. Seven out of ten, uh, with the critical consensus <laughs> reading markedly inferior to its cult classic predecessor in every way. <laughs> American Werewolf in Paris is felled by the silver bullets of clumsy storytelling and chintzy special effects. And I think they did that classic late nineties thing of, "Hey guys, we could do anything in CGI, right?" <laughs> <laughs> 
everything will look believable. Yeah. You've seen Jurassic and, Park? Well, we haven't got that budget, but we'll do it anyway. <laughs> um, and yeah. it was also nominated for uh, Worst Sequel at the Stinkers <laughs> Bad Movies Award, but lost to Speed 2 Cruise Control. Worst episode ever. Uh, John, John Lannis was originally approached to do a sequel. He pitched an idea and the guys who had the rights were like, no, we, uh, we're we going to go with something else. And John, John Lannis said, he goes, I was really disappointed when I saw that film. I thought it was lousy. Um, <laughs> but most recently, I think it was about five, ten years ago now, um, Max Landis... John John Landis' son was announced as writing a remake, um, but then I think a couple of years later, Max Landis, son of John Landis, was accused of various inappropriate sexual misdemeanors and has been cancelled. So I don't think that's happening anymore. Be spending the rest of his life in jail. So okay, that was a very cheerful, suspicious spin-offs. Are there any other spin-offs that we haven't covered, George? Well, I mean, you, you there's could probably say, a comic. There's probably you know, they, there was a BBC radio adaptation not that long ago where they, re- I think, in the late nineties, where they reunited a lot of the cast, and apparently that was quite good. So um, yeah, there was a radio basically play version of it that dialed up the comedy. But I think it's safe to say this film has paved a way for a lot of horror comedies in terms of i think as we talked about in ghostbusters you know horror comedies it's a hard balance to get you know of it's got to be funny it's got to be scary and i think this film does it brilliantly oh oh my god i've just realized we haven't talked about the werewolf nazis i was going to be saving that for anything else yes let's have a segue for the demon nazi death squad so um so so uh, let's just talk about the dream sequences in general because you've got that one that always sticks out of me that you see in a lot of um you know compilation videos they show that scene where his face is in full makeup where his eyes are all it's still him yeah in the bed yeah, in the bed. That's a classic that you see all the time when people say 80s horror. That that shot always features. So yeah, I was watching this the other night with my mate Andrew and about halfway through, it was quite late on, and halfway through, a mutual friend who lives around the corner was like, oh, you know, uh, you guys you, you guys still still up, still about, uh, shall I pop over? And we're like, oh, we'll just watch your film, but pop over. He comes over, and he's never seen American Werewolf before, and it's just as that sequence is about to start, and he's like... So bring me up to speed. So it's just like, well, the guy's, you know, he's he's been bitten, he's turned into a werewolf, and he's and he's freaking out about it. And we're like, and now this bit's gonna really fuck you up. <laughs> and we just played it, and he was just like, What the fuck is this? What are you watching? And it's such a gonzo crazy dream sequence. Uh you cheese got- dream. But it is something like it's, the it's mighty brutal. Push. It's it's a fact that like <laughs> when his like mother gets shot, she's like properly pulled away, like yanked. And he's away. held at knife point. He's held at knife point for the whole thing, and then his throat is slit. It's like <laughs> it's it's so uh, intense, bizarre, twisted. And then it's the kicker, though. It's that dream within a dream of. Oh, don't be silly, David. I was just open the window. Ah! Oh, my God. <laughs> that's the that's where the horrors turned up to 11, and this film really works. I was just like, yeah, I like that sort of stuff. It's but silly. It's, it, it it's has, shocking. It's obviously, it's, it's playing on his psyche. Surreal. Surreal as fuck. It's, yeah, it's just like fucking Nazi werewolf soldiers. I mean, obviously, that's... That's a film in itself, but um, it's better than Space Ninjas. I'm whoa, sorry, Space Ninjas. Oh, careful on that! I know that's, it's your pet project. That's my big movie idea: Space Ninjas, Ninjas in Space. Spence, um, space Ninjas colon colon Ninjas in Space. Ninjas yeah. in Space. So yeah, it's uh, I know I think we've we've said everything we need to. It is it is a cult. I think classic. we've done it ju- done it justice. I mean, I I can't say enough how still today you know we take we can take the piss out of ninety CGI because they hadn't really got the the hang of it, and I think we forget that just before the the birth of CGI, uh, and we're still going back to today when the recent Star Wars film came out. They tried to do more physical stuff. They recognised that the audience some of it looked better, and I think this was the height of it. You know. 
know, and it's that transformation scene still looks brilliant today. Whether you say you know about all the trickery that's going on, shot for shot, the progression of it, the believability oh, of it, it's, 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 it's amazing. Even now, even now with everything they can do, you don't think that anything they can do today, I'm sure they can, but they haven't yet because this has already been done. It, it doesn't need to be redone, but it's so real looking, you know, the, it's so gritty. And as I say, in the in the light that, and it's, it was it's an amazing achievement. And the fact, yeah, that you know, hats off to to John Landis for for sticking with that vision of yeah. like I want to do it in bright light, no cutaways. You know, I want to see everything. Yeah, it is it is phenomenal. As you know, the you look at you know similar era, and we we've talked about it earlier as uh, you know the thing and Rob Bottin's work. It's a, some amazing, some of the the best you know practical effects done in that but there's a lot that's hidden in darkness and smoke but honestly i think it's going to come full circle if you look at where drones are going you know the fact that they can shoot places and they never could do before with drones and what they're able to do with lighting and what they're able to do with smoke i could see it going full circle where parts of the stage will come alive you know you see what they're doing with the mandalorian it was screens it was physical stuff in the room who's to know that this sort of makeup stuff you know that stuff could have jackets that change color and stuff it could go more physical is my yeah. point you know is that i think that cgi was kind of a, a stepping stone but it was not the, the not the answer yeah and you 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 get stuff like the dark knights where it's harvey two-face where it's a mixture of practical effects and cgi to sort of fill in the gaps and stuff like that that's and that's what you know we've talked about in previous episodes terminator 2 jurassic park everyone thinks of them as being groundbreaking cgi but there was so much practical and animatronic stuff that was being done. Yeah. No, I, I really enjoyed watching this film. Uh, I said my type of horror film. I like the comedy. I like the blend. It still stands up for, for all of the same reasons that it has in the past. And I'm glad that we've, we've got to cover it here on Retro Ramble. So, George, what um, anything else you want to bring up? Any, I mean, obviously follow us on all the social media channels, uh, on our YouTube, on Spotify, on all the places you get your podcasts. Yeah, please, please like, subscribe. Um, if you have the time, please leave us a review on itunes because it does it pushes up uh in that visibility in itunes means we're more visible to more people um, um and P- patreon is coming we're just making sure coming. that we're just the magic making sure is coming the magic the, is coming the, 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 if you book them they'll come we are just making sure that we are brimming with extra tidbits to make it worthwhile um and that we can continually add enough to make it you know something that people really will get something from so we're, we're, we're almost there but uh you watch know, this space watch this space watch this space very much and in terms of what we've got coming up next we've done halloween um so what have we got coming up next probably just I a believe we are and we are spoiling our, our dear listeners because there is a new director's cut of rocky 4 coming out uh, so we are going to look at the original cut of that i believe or we might just cut out this bit of audio and decide on something else Rocky Four, there you have it. I mean, two Stallones in one year, two Arnie films in one year. We are showering our listeners with the goods, and there's still plenty more to go to to look forward to. So I'm alive, it's still alive. Uh, and we can talk a little bit about what's going to be coming in the next year in terms of the extras that'll be on Patreon, the Retro Ramble Revelations, where we go back and cover films that slip by us, that we didn't watch from start to finish, that our listeners have recommended. So there's lots of very exciting stuff on the way. But thank you for listening to this episode. Uh, I've been Charlie McGee. I've been George McGee. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.